center and coming in is Loom. New at the center net. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Why, hello there. Welcome to another hour of Flames Talk. Welcome to a Wednesday hour of Flames Talk. It is February 21st, and we're underway this hour. Why, hello, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. Well, hello, Patrick Steinberg of Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to CalgaryLockAndSafe.com. Do request a security audit and get a tailored solution. So, as we get this hour going, Jonathan Huberdeau has been a flashpoint topic since he got here. Since July of 2022, it's been 18 months or whatever it's been since he's been a member of the Flames. And certainly, like, he was a flashpoint to begin with due to the excitement of what that trade was going to look like. And then as it got off to a poor start in his first season... It the the conversation really not even gradually but pretty rapidly turned yep. sour and and that poor start has kind of followed him for eighteen months and has made it difficult for many people to talk overly positive about Jonathan Huberdeau. I'm not saying everybody, but I do think there are are certain like the way it started kind of dug a hole public perception wise or or individual perception wise rather. And, and for some people, it's going to take a lot for him to work his way out of it, which is fine. That's what it is. It's pro sports. I get it. But m- somewhat objectively, it does feel like things are starting to normalize for him. Since December 31st, when he <laughs> avoided going pointless in the month of December, you know, he went almost completely pointless until New Year's Eve. And since December 31st, when he snapped that 12-game skid or whatever it was, he has 19 points in 20 games. He did miss the one game with illness, but he has 19 points in 20 games, which is the third highest total on the team. Blake Coleman and Nazem Kadri are higher point totals since December 31st, but not by much. Kadri is 23. Coleman is 21. And I get it. Almost point per game over a quarter of a season like that, that's not what the Flames are paying him ten and a half million dollars for. That's not what the expectations are that come in a, come with a you know double digit cap hit. I get it. I I do get it. But it is the best and the most productive, and I would even say the most dynamic we've seen Jonathan Huberdeau since he's gotten here. So you know maybe it isn't all the way back to what the expectations were, or maybe I I think even for Jonathan, I don't I don't think it's all the way back to what he expects of himself. But it's by far the best that it's been. And this last 20-game stretch for him has been the best stretch he's had as a member of the Calgary Flames, which, you know, I think is important to point out because we sure as hell pointed out when it wasn't going the other way or when it was going the other way, rather. Yeah, and you don't have to look too far back. December 30th, you mentioned, I'll go one day prior to him avoiding a month-long point drought. But on December 30th, he was on pace for 35 points. And you're $10.5 million man cannot be on pace for 35 points. And I remember talking in the off season, whether it was with you logo, whomever about, yeah, Jonathan Huberto is not a 115 point player. Like he was in his final season with the Florida Panthers prior to joining the Calgary flames. 
but you need him to be more than the 55-point guy that he was last season. And even in saying this, he's still, as it stands, on pace for 50 points this season, which is a little bit of a regression over year one. But you've certainly seen a lot of things over the last seven-ish weeks that lead you to believe maybe he can get back to being that closer to a point-per-game player that you'd be happy with following what a disastrous might be a little exaggerating, but definitely the largest year-over-year point drop in NHL history. You you couldn't have a 55-point Jonathan Huberto for the next eight seasons. And I'm not saying that he's cleared the final hurdle and now he's back to being a point-per-game player, but some of the things you're seeing on the ice and him moving his feet and being a bit more creative, and there's to me there's a little bit more zip on his passes even, that's positive steps for Jonathan Huberto, and we've seen since, as you mentioned, December 31st, 19 points in 20 games, third highest on the team. If you can start getting that month over month over month, yep. you're a lot more happy, a lot more happy, a lot happier with what he's providing for you offensively. Here is head coach Ryan Huska, uh, who was asked about Naz, uh, not Nazem Kadri, who was asked about Jonathan Huberdo uh, earlier. We'll talk about Kadri a little bit later this segment, uh, but was asked about Jonathan Huberdo after practice on Wednesday. I keep feeling like he's going in the right direction lately. Like he, he's one where you look at the plays when he's executing and making plays. You know he's starting to feel really good about himself, and I've seen a much more from him over the last little while, and. Um, it's a it's a good thing. It's a positive sign for sure, and we need him. Like, there's no there's no doubt about it. When he's feeling you know, good about his game, he's a better player, and I think he brings other people along with him. So I've been since the turn of the new year, I guess you can say he's been a pretty consistent player for us. I think I think he he's been far more dangerous consistently since the new year turned and and I think part of it is finally finding I think finally finding a guy that he is fully comfortable with and a guy that he really feels like he vibes with you know for a little while there Lindholm was between him and and Sharon Govich and the thing that struck me most when those three were playing together was the chemistry between Lindholm and Sharon Govich and the chemistry between Huberdo and Sharon Govich. Not so much Huberdo and Lindholm, which got a little better, but never right. really got to where anybody wanted it to. Um, but Huberdo and Sharon Govich looked like a really nice fit. Sharon Govich playing his off wing, Huberdo being the high end distributor that he is. It just and 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 Sharon Govich playing with pace. He plays with speed. You know, he he shoots off the rush. He's a good one-time threat. You just felt like, hey, that seems like finally they have somebody that works nicely with him. So that's where it started for me. And then adding Kuzmenko after the trade to that line, I thought, thought there was some really nice instant chemistry there. It's kind of, I don't want, want to say the chemistry has dropped off as much as the effectiveness as the line, um, as a line is dropped off. You know, Sharon Govich no longer on the wing. He's adjusting to playing the middle, all that type of stuff. But it just feels like for the first time, Huberto has guys on his line five on five that he really vibes with on the ice. And, and that is also a really important thing to point out why I think we have seen him look a whole lot more dangerous Sometimes styles make styles make fights, and you know, in this case, a certain style of player was was needed. It feels like for Huberto to succeed, and I think Kuzmenko and Huberto, at least to a certain degree, see the ice similarly. Um, this is a case for Jonathan Huberto over the last twenty games. I don't think it's been a hundred percent linear his climb, as you, as if you're ascending 
to the peak of a, a roller coaster, but his drops aren't as significant anymore as well. They last, you know, a period or a game. They're not weeks like they were before or looking back at December, 30 days where it took until the final game of the month for him to get off the schneid a bit. I think it's better managed when it's not going his way and it's not prolonging these point droughts or these bouts of ineffectiveness. And it's, you got to tip your cap. If we're going to sit here, you know, even a month ago or not a month ago, pardon me, but two months ago, I mean like, yeah, Jonathan Huberto needs to find a way to be more effective, more impactful, help this team more. You have to tip your cap to him when he's gone about it. As you mentioned, 19 points in 20 games. That's about a, what a 77 ish point pace over an 82 game season. You got to do it for longer than seven weeks, for sure. But it's a step in the right direction for a guy that's known for his production. Yep. It, it, and and the next step is getting yourself to a point per game over. Like, how about the next twenty game stretch? It's twenty two in twenty. Right? I'd be like, fine with just do this again, yeah. replicate it. Yeah. Start it to be a trend, not just an aberration. Do this over twenty games. Okay, now do this over the remaining games that you have on the schedule and then carry it into next season as well. The, and then the other, the other thing that I think has been really apparent to me is, you know, I just feel like he's grown into his role in the locker room and as a veteran on this team a little bit more too. Like it, it feels like this year he's taken on even more of a lead. Like he was wearing an A on his jersey right from the get-go but, you know, year one, there was a lot of adjustment. And he f- was really frustrated with the way he was playing. And there was the Daryl Sutter headbutting, all that type of stuff. Well, the Daryl Sutter part's removed. And he's now a whole lot more comfortable in his new surroundings. It just feels like he's really grown into being a leader on this team a whole lot more. Like, we're talking about a guy with 700 NHL points. We're talking about a guy who's been in this league for more than a decade. We're talking about a guy who has played in the playoffs. And, and like, so... the. I think he looks at it, especially now with a younger team with longtime leaders that have gradually left the group. I mean, we, we know that he never played with Kachuk and Gaudreau, but those were big forces in the room. Yep. Monaghan was a big force in the room. And Lindholm was kind of that one of those last remaining guys. And and now that Lindholm's traded, I, I, I think it helps a guy like Huberto grow even a little bit more into kind of feeling like it's more of, his room, if that makes any sense, as as one of the leaders. I think same is true with Kadri or or Coleman or or any of those guys. Like, no, it's kind of like there's been a transition, and now with Michael Backlund as the captain, Backlund, Huberto, Coleman, Kadri, Weger, like these are now the guys that you're like, okay, those are the vet Markstrom, those are the vets that are now the new leadership group and the new kind of set the standard type guys. I think there's been a lot of that too. Yeah, I think he's helped a lot of the younger players with this team in transition, just uh, getting acclimatized NHL life, the day-to-day. It's an everyday league. Here's how you take care of yourself at the rink. Here's some things that you need to be aware of when you're on the road. Like, this is a position, and we've we've heard him, we've heard him and Jacob Peltier speak on this specifically, and there's just a sense that he's willing to embrace that leadership role with the younger players specifically, in order to help set them up for their best case scenario for success. And you know what? When we spoke with Jacob Pelche at uh, Tuesday's Flames Ambassadors Poker Tournament, 
which just happened to raise more than half a million dollars in one day. 501,000, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, 501, not bad. Uh, That's pretty damn good. And congratulations to the Flames Foundation, by the way. Um, This is Jacob Pelche, who sat down with us for 15 minutes or so from the Deerfoot and in Casino and and talked about how big it's been having Jacob, uh, having Jonathan Huberto back with him and just how much of a a leader, how much of a kind of take you under your wing type guy Huberto has been for him and all the young players on this team. He's been good to me. Like even though, like doing the, like I was doing the rehab, uh, we 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 kind of see each other a lot. And uh, when I had a surge, I uh, think before I was going to Vail, he, he took me out for supper too. So uh, he's, he's been great to me since uh, day day one, and I'm just uh, really uh, grateful to. To, to have him in my life, yeah. When did that relationship start? Is that something that happened sort of the moment he joined the Flames organization? Is there a prior history there as well? When did that No, sort of not really. Uh, honestly, like, I, I used to, to watch him play uh, when I was young. Uh, he was playing for the Sea Dogs, so I was uh, I was like, man, this guy's unbelievable. And when he got traded, he shoot me a text. He's like, hey, uh, it's UB, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, we, we met at the, at the sort of the training camp. And uh, as soon as I um, as I got on the flames, you know, he, he kind of took took me uh, uh, like like his son. To be honest, like it's it's kind of a big joke, but like it's true. And uh, I remember when I came back in New York when I so like the All Star break last year, I came back in New York with the team. He was like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm gonna take you to supper tonight." And I was like, "Like this is unbelievable." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. This is great. Like this guy's is like a unreal player, but like. All the off-eye stuff, like, it's great. And last week we were in New York again, and he took, like, all the uh, young guys out again. So it just shows that, like, yeah, I'm French, and he's French, but, like, even, even though I would have been English, he would have done the same thing, and it's uh, it's it's great to have him. That is uh, Jacob Pelche talking about Jonathan Huberto with us. That entire conversation is uh, up on our Flames Talk podcast feed right now. I'll almost guarantee you it's impossible to not smile when you hear Jacob Pelche talk. Like the, the energy so that true. he has in the room radiates through your radio waves as well. Like I just sitting there listening to him now. I'm just like, this guy's just so much fun to be around. Uh, speaking of veterans, and we talked about this on Tuesday's roundtable from the poker tournament, but I just I, I keep on being impressed with Nazem Kadri, and I keep on appreciating the way that he's gone about his business. And, you know, Logan and I talked about it on Monday's pregame show. I asked uh, Ryan Huska about it on, on our coaches show Monday. You hear, um, you hear some other people talking about him. I just look, it has been an up and down season and there have been some really frustrating stretches for this flames team, but He's been as consistent as they come. I never, you know, even when the points weren't necessarily there right off the, in the first eight, nine games of the year, I never felt he was skirting it in terms of the compete or the work ethic. I remember the goal he scored at the Heritage Classic and just how fired up he was about it. He was mic'd up during that game. And, you know, it was just kind of like a finally, like, and he was so, it was good to get that off his back, a nice redirect in that loss. Um, and ever since then, the points have been coming a whole lot more as well. And I just, look, I was a huge fan. And, and anybody who listened to Flames Talk at the time, I was a massive fan of the Kadri signing at the time. In hindsight, maybe not at the expense of Monaghan, but 
in a bubble. In the expensive Monaghan or the first round pick it costs to little, unload him or both? A little bit of both okay. at this point. In hindsight, and I know hindsight's hindsight, but if they could have found another way to sign Kadri, and and I know that would have been difficult, but not give up a first round pick and not say goodbye to Sean Monaghan, who clearly just needed to get healthy, time. be healthy, needed time. You know, I, that probably would have been the better way to go about it. But I still will always be on board with them signing Kadri because I just have always been such a, 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 or I've always had such a large appreciation for the way he plays the game. But last year, I, I, we didn't see enough of it. We did early on. He was an all-star for a reason. But when things got difficult and when the team was struggling and when things were kind of going right off the rails in the second half of the season and the Daryl Sutter discourse picked up and all, all of it, I just I didn't see the Nazem Kadri that I've always appreciated going back to his days in Toronto and definitely in his days in Colorado. But he's had that all year. And, and maybe the Sutter thing is part of it. I don't know. But... I've just appreciated from start to where we are now. He's been a tone setter. He's never skirted it in the compete level. We're going to hear in a second how much he's taken young players under his wing. He's been a leader in that regard. Uh, there are, you know, one or two handfuls of games, maybe one handful of games this year where you're like, Kadri was not very good. Most nights, even if the team isn't very good, you can point to Kadri in his line as the one line that you're like, oh, you know what? But the Kadri line was good. And, you know, Pospisil and Zeri were good. Like, I just have really appreciated how he's maybe, maybe it goes exactly what we were talking about with Huberto. More comfortable in his surroundings. Some things have changed. And maybe it just allowed him to embrace being a leader on this team a little bit more. Whatever the case, I, I, I salute it. It's been really impressive. For me, he's probably number two on my ballot for MVP of the Calgary Flames behind only Jacob number Markstrom. One skater. Number one skater in my books. And we talked a lot earlier in the season about how the kids have reinvigorated Nazem Kadri, but he's given back just as much, if not more, in terms of their development to bring them along and get them ready for what is essentially now a second line role with the Calgary Flames. And in a lot of games, you make a strong argument that they've been Calgary's best line. And just looking through the numbers, I mean, even including that eight, nine game stretch to start the season where the production wasn't there in goals, assists and points, but a lot of the underlying metrics were. And to his credit, he knew and he felt like he was playing good hockey and wasn't getting the result. And lo and behold, now he is. Yep. Well, since that line's been put together, he's got 17 goals and 40 points in 42 games. So you're talking about a guy that's not going to have a career year because he just the 87 points he had in the year he was with the Colorado Avalanche before joining the Flames. He's not going to touch that, I don't think. But if you can get, as we were talking about Jonathan Huberto being a point-per-game player, if you can get Nazem Kadri somewhere around a point per game, you're very satisfied with that, with all the other things he brings as well. Tone setter. He's brought way more edge. He's been their most consistently dangerous forward. He leads the team in scoring. All of that. And he's been a leader. Here's head coach Ryan Huska from Wednesday at practice. There's a big reason why Connor and uh, Marty have had good years. Um, and Naz deserves a lot of credit for that. Because sometimes, you know, as an older guy, you look at, they're calling two guys up and I'm going to play with these two guys. <laughs> you know, he wants to be a driver and he wants to have impact. But he took that the right way. Uh, and he made that line, you know, arguably our most consistent line 
um, over the course of the season since they've been put together. So um, Naz has had a real good impact this year. So we're really pleased with what he's been able to do for our team, both on and off the ice. And you know who agrees with that? Connor Zeri. I, I spoke with him a little bit in the locker room on Wednesday, asked him a, a couple questions about Nazem and, you know, not just, hey, playing with Nazem Kadri, that one, the guys won a Stanley Cup, but just how much he's elevated and how much, you know, his desire to win, desire to compete, the preparation, all of it, how that's rubbed off on, on a guy like him. Sometimes, you know what, as a young guy, especially in those first couple months, it, it could have been easy just to be like, okay, uh, maybe I don't have it tonight, but then you look over and you see Cads going and you're like, okay, I got to get on my horse a little bit. And that kind of pushes you to, to kind of to up your game and, 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 and compete even harder. So I think just little things like that sometimes you just when you're learning uh, at the next level and, and you're coming in to see the guy beside you always going at a, a 110% and, and wanting to win and, and wanting to make plays and, and do what he does as much as he does, it's, it, it, it kind of pushes you to the next level. We always talk about him like, with, uh, you know, he plays with edge and, and that type of stuff, but you're a skilled guy. There's a sneaky amount of skill with him, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's a lot, and I think you you can see how good he is with the puck. Just like even the little things, just keeping the puck, batting pucks down, keeping him in between his feet, and, and fending guys off. It's just little things like that that uh, sometimes the the naked eye doesn't notice, but you look back, and and especially for guys like us, maybe you give him a bad bad pass, but he's able to readjust and, and make a play out of it. So that's always something you you want to kind of take. And if there was probably one thing I I could learn from him is just how good he is at doing that. So uh, I think, yeah, he's, he's incredibly skilled. The Nazem Kadri situations worked nicely for him this year. I give, uh, I give him a lot of credit. And look, I don't know how interested Kadri is at 34 years old as a Stanley Cup winner. I don't know how interested he is in being part of a pivot. But I do know that he has been a very engaged player and has been one of their best lead by example guys all year long and for better or worse i could imagine a scenario not necessarily saying nazim kadri but when you've got a tenured nhl vet that is you know arguably a first line center arguably a second line center and you tell him hey we're going to call up two guys from the ahl and we're going to stick them on each wing of yours i could see how that might rub that veteran the wrong way but just hearing from Coach Ryan Huska there and hearing from Connor Zeri there, fully embrace that challenge. Yep. And it's given the Calgary Flames, arguably, again, their most consistent line this season. A few texts on what we've talked about so far. First on Huberto. Uh, this reads, there definitely is more to like from Huberto lately, and even the body language looks better. Still like to see him shoot more. Everyone plays him to pass. And then um, Mike writes, Huberto's been far better since his move to Sharon Govich's line, but at his contract, he needs to be more so a Pasternak or a Panarin because the Flames just don't have the game breakers like Matthew or Johnny anymore. And I, I honestly don't know whether or not we're going to see that from him. Even when he was at his best in Florida, he wasn't Pasternak. Like that, he was a very good player, a very... Think about him when he's at his best. He's not flashy. He's cerebral. He's not uh, He's not making highlight reel plays all the time. He's doing things effectively, but in a subtle way. So I don't know if it ever is going to be that... Jump off the page yeah. type of play, yeah. And then this on Kadri, uh, love me some Nas. Always said he was the best best third line center in the league, but he's a pretty damn good two. The only thing that sucked about Lindholm being traded is the Flames got snubbed for a rep at the All Star game. And this reads: If there's no Kadri, there's no Flames this year. He's been 
He's been a real tone setter for him this year, and uh, good on him. It's been impressive to see. Uh, Vickers and Steinberg with you this hour on Flamestock. As we continue along, we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flamestock. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time to go inside hockey on this Wednesday for Calgary Co-op. It's time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. It's Steinberg along with you on this Wednesday Flamestock. It's a Wednesday. It's time to spin around the Pacific Division. Get the latest on what's happening elsewhere inside the division. We say hello to our buddy Jonathan Davis from SoCal from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. Hello, J.D. How are you, Pat? I'm well, my friend. I'm well. And, uh, again, we're now 16 days from the trade deadline. It's closing in. There's going to be lots of movement, I think, in this Pacific Division in terms of adding and subtracting, so on and so forth, as we know very well in this market. Um, you know, it's it's funny. We've talked all year that the LA Kings have been on some roller coaster of a season. They they looked like world beaters early on. Then the new year flipped, and it was like, poof. Are these guys going to fall out of the playoffs? They make the coaching change. Todd McClellan replaced by Jim Hiller. And uh, now this L.A. team has turned things right back around. It feels like they're back on track, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But, you know, the interesting thing for me, Pat, is it's been done differently. I mean, the, the way they're winning games isn't the way that they were winning games early in the year. And it's it's just, you know, you, you see, Jim Hiller's just done some different things. And he's he's juggled the lines, which has been unheard of in Los Angeles. That yeah. that was something that seemed very foreign to, to Todd McClellan. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the biggest moves is that, you know, Quinton Byfield's no longer playing on the top line with Anze Kopitar. And that's not an indictment on Quinton Byfield. It's he's been he's now on a line with Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's been the driver of the line. And for anybody who didn't see Quentin Byfield's goal last night, go check it out because oh, unbelievable. Uh, it, it was a thing of beauty. Um, and, and I had tweeted out last night that, you know, look, give Barb Underhill an assist on that goal because Barb Underhill, for those who don't know, is, you know, works with a lot of NHL players in the off season and maybe during the regular season as well in Toronto. Don't know, but definitely in the off season and Quinton Byfield was one of her, you know, her pupils. And you can see that in Byfield's game, you know, skating has, uh, has become something that it's turned around. And the other thing for Quinton Byfield that he did about a year and a half ago is that he went away from what I, I always like to refer to as a kid stick. And he went to an adult stick and he's no longer hunched over. Uh, he's become a different player. So, Byfield and, and Dubois uh, has, has made Dubois uh, at least more relevant. I don't know if he's necessarily been uh, imposing his will on the opposition, but he's scoring. I mean, he scored two goals last night. I think he scored one in the Boston game. Uh, so we're, we're seeing different line combinations, and, and that's been one thing that is, you know, has helped turn this team around. And the other thing, Pat, is, you know, they came into the, this past weekend with just two wins in 18 games. 
uh, when trailing going to the third period, and they doubled that win total over the weekend with those wins in Boston and Pittsburgh. The um, And the, the division all of a sudden, it looked like Edmonton was going to run away and hide. Now they still have fewer games played than the Kings do, and they're, are ahead of them, so they're still in the driver's seat. But L.A. has once again made that interesting and hasn't just been a runaway. It looks like L.A. and their opportunity to finish in a Pacific Division spot hasn't completely gone by the wayside either. It hasn't. And then, you know, what also helps Los Angeles, you know, the the bad news for, for the Vegas Golden Knights is that Jack Eichel, or Jack Eichel, Mark Stone got hurt last night on a hit by Jakob Trenin um, that, you know, Stone just, it, it was just a, a collision, uh, unfortunate collision at center ice last night. And I saw that uh, Kelly McCrimmon was on a podcast, uh, I don't remember with who, earlier today, and he said Stone will be out for a while. Now, it's not to b- believe to be a back issue, but, okay. man, he got clobbered. So now no Stone, no Eichel, uh, and, you know, th- there's two of your best forwards that are gone for an extended period of time. What, uh, which just means that Vegas will definitely add at the deadline, right? Of course, right. Of course they will. I mean, you know, death taxes and Jim Rutherford and Kelly McCrimmon making trades at the, you know, in and around the deadline are absolute certainties in life. And I mean, if you're Vegas, as you should, I mean, eventually a Stanley Cup window closes. They're the defending Stanley Cup champions. They feel like they can win again. Why wouldn't they go out and try to do it? And if they're going to get Stone back for the playoffs, it, it kind of it just makes sense. I, you throw a name out there, whether it's Gensel or Hannafin or Lawton or like any of the hot names on the block right now. The the one team that I think you can connect and and can believe is going to at the very least make calls and and could easily be the team that acquires said player. Always the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, absolutely. And then the other thing with Vegas that, you know, you know, doesn't get talked about as much as, you know, let's say, you know, your team in, in Calgary is, you know, look, they've got they've got two. Well, take a look at their free their UFAs for next year. You've got Jonathan Marcheseau, mm-hmm. Chandler Stevenson and Will Carrier that all need new contracts. And I would be shocked, you know, if Vegas can't afford them, that's one thing. But you know, look, there's no question that they will be trying to sign these guys. Oh, and Michael Amadio to a lesser degree and Alec Martinez. So, you know, they have a long, you know, they've got five significant players on their roster that are UFAs. Uh, They are in go for it mode. Yeah. And, and honestly, as they should be, it, uh, it's, that's what you're supposed to do when you're in a Stanley cup window. Um, just uh, just one more uh, one more point, kind of relating to that. Um, and as the LA Kings are right there in the mix, and and as the LA Kings are fighting for a Pacific Division spot, you're quite dialed on uh, Wednesday's game in Edmonton. Hey, it's the Bruins and Oilers. We see the Bruins the day afterwards here in Calgary, but uh, Bruins and Oilers on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I, you know, a, a fun one for sure, and it's it's interesting to watch Boston who you know, has been out of sorts ever since, you know, you guys faced them coming out of the break. I mean, they they, they have looked, uh, you know, just not themselves. And, and that game against Los Angeles on the weekend was just another example of that. Um, but they always seem to, to put up a good showing, you know, against the Edmonton Oilers. They, they've, they've won, I think it's like three straight in Edmonton. 
you know, they've won four or five, usually tight games. So, you know, I, I am looking forward to this one tonight. Uh, we're chatting with Jonathan Davis, our Pacific Division insider. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the Hart Trophy race in a second. Um, I am curious, though, as we move, we talked Vegas at the deadline. Let's let's talk a couple other teams in this division at the deadline and what we might see. You know, is is L.A. geared up to do something? Do you see them adding between now and the deadline? I think, you know, the biggest problem for L.A. in being able to add at the deadline uh, it's just that it really has to be dollars in, dollars out. And, you know, look, at one time, you know, we were talking, you know, you know, UC Soros is definitely a name that has been mentioned in Los Angeles. But, you know, you're trying to figure out the dollar amount uh, to make that work. Now, one thing that does help L.A., Victor Arvidsson got hurt last night. And, you know, if Victor Arvidsson goes on long-term IR, well, that's $4.25 million in cap space that becomes – free. So, you know, that will change things. Otherwise, you know, look, there are only guys that they can move out for any significant type of player are Adrian Kempe and and Matt Roy. And I don't, you know, when the Kings were struggling, I could see them making, you know, moving on from Matt Roy because he's an easy UFA. But while now things are, are different under Jim Hiller, I don't see them moving Matt Roy on the blue line. So, I'm not really sure, Pat, what, you know, what they can do. If Arvidsson goes on LTIR, it definitely changes things. It, it, it will give them more money to work with uh, and being able to try and able to acquire a significant asset. You, uh, do we have any idea or any sense as to – I know Arvidsson left that game and there was some talk about uh, is, it, is it related to what we saw and what just kept them out. Uh, do we have any sense as to where things are on the Arvidsson front? We don't. It just it just didn't look good. Like he was, he just looked very uncomfortable last night. Which would be so disappointing for him, knowing how hard he fought yeah. to get back. Uh, hopefully, just for his sake, that uh, it's it's not a bad thing. What? Okay, we've talked so much about Edmonton, so we don't need to talk about them at the deadline. But you know, the other name that you mentioned, uh, Kelly McCrimmon and Jim Rutherford, uh, adding between now and the deadline. Obviously, Jim Rutherford's the president of Hockey Ops. Patrick Alvin is the general manager in Vancouver, but. Both those guys do not seem content, and we're going to talk about the Canucks and their struggles in just a second, but neither of those guys seem content to rest on their laurels, hey? No, not at all. And, and you know, look, the Canucks have gone through, you know, a, a bit of a speed bump right now. I mean, look, they, they, they are now the last team in the NHL to have gone through a three-game losing streak. I mean, pretty remarkable. Here we are. You know, it's February 20th, and Vancouver had their first three-game losing streak of the season. And look, and you know, it was a rough one last night. I mean, rough in the sense, you know, not like rough like the Minnesota Wild game was. And, Pat, did I see a stat that it's the third time that Vancouver's given up seven goals in a period? Did you you see that as no, well? No. I don't know. <laughs> I that, did see that. that. That's remarkable. But look, last night to me was a schedule loss. You're going into Colorado on, a, on the back end of a back-to-back. Uh, you know, forget that. And, but I, I would think that, you know, you know look, I, I, we highlighted a couple of weeks ago, Pat, that, that their schedule in the second half was brutal. They had more games against playoff teams at that time. I think it was 17 uh, down the stretch. That was more than anybody in the Pacific Division. Um, you know, look, and at some point, uh, you know, the shooting percentage was going to have to turn around. I mean, guys were just 
it's six guys that were in that 20% range. That, that's unheard of. So um, I, I'm not necessarily surprised. I haven't played bad hockey. I thought the Winnipeg game was like a playoff game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if they do more and, and try to add. Yeah, I, uh, I'm really curious to see how that plays itself out. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, every team is going to go through struggles, especially teams that have been cruising all year. Now is about the time when some of those teams go through it. So I'm not surprised that Vancouver is doing that right now. Uh, and then what about, you know, the, the, the one team that I, outside of Calgary, that I am most interested in from a moving out asset standpoint is Anaheim. We know Henrique is getting moved. What, what else do you have your eye on out of Anaheim? Well, I mean, you know, you keep hearing Zegras, and, you know, as they say, where, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I just, I, you know, look, he, he's not a Pat Verbeek style of player, uh, but, you know, you need all different types of players to succeed. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, it, it, it wouldn't shock me only because we keep hearing his name. Maybe a guy like Labushkin on the, on the back end, you know, uh, on a much smaller scale, uh, you know, Frank Petrano, you know, makes sense because, again, you know, look, for, for Anaheim, he's more valuable to, to a contender than he is to the Anaheim Ducks. So there's another name that wouldn't surprise okay. me. We're chatting with Jonathan Davis. He is our Pacific Division insider, but, you know, over at uh, NHL Network on Sirius XM, you're, you uh, cover the whole league, and you're talking the whole league uh, when, you're, uh, when you're doing your postgame show. And, you know, I, I, wonder about, I, I wonder about this Hart Trophy race. You wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Austin Matthews because the buzz for Matthews and the Hart Trophy seems to be getting louder by the day, hey? Well, it sure does, and all you got to do is just just take a look at the odds board if you want to get a, get a, an idea. Because Monday, uh, President's Day here, Family Day in Canada. Before that game against St. Louis, Austin Matthews was seven to one for the Hart Trophy. Um, then he scores goal forty nine, and he was five to one Monday night. And now I see him now at four to one, and he hasn't even hit the ice yet. So since Monday. Before you know, he has gone from seven to one to four to one. That's you know, Connor McDavid's just over three to one. Kucherov is just under three to one, and McKinnon's the odds-on favorite at plus one seventy-five. But there's no question. Like like for me, Pat, if he scores, if he hits the seventy goal mark, he's winning the Hart Trophy. Yeah, I mean, how do you not? It hasn't been done in so long. Right. Right. So um, yeah, uh, you know, look, I would you know still if you can get. Even right now at four to one, to me, like just as an investment, I get four times on my money. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I think I think that's a worthwhile return. But it's just, you know, this is where you, the odds just tell you a lot about, you know, where, where this is going to go. I, yeah, I, it is scary. I mean, what he's doing is is unbelievable. Um, you know, look, it, it would be a great story if he could score fifty in his fiftieth in Arizona tonight. Um, you know, for those who like to, to, you know, have some fun and, you know, put a few dollars down on a bet, you know, Austin Matthews to score a goal tonight, I think was at around, uh, you know, you had to bet a dollar forty to win a dollar, something like Last that. Last I so, saw was a uh, minus one fifty five. I mean, if he, oh, he's, he's, scoring, I got it in one thirty four. He, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. He's, he's scoring against Arizona, right? Like, 
He's he's from yeah. there. he's scoring his fiftieth yeah. on on Wednesday night, right? Like, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, whether the Leafs win or not is another story because you know they've lost. They've only won four of their last ten in Arizona now, uh, which you know, and and even and you know, look, I mean, it, that's for whatever reason that it, it's been a big bugaboo for them in Arizona, but. Uh, yeah, he's got to be scoring his 50th tonight. And then the other one, but to a lesser degree, um, if you want to make, some, if you want some plus money, I think you can get Matthew Nyes, the Arizona native, at over half a point or half an assist. I think you can get like uh, you can bet a dollar to win like two dollars. So it's a little bit better than the Austin Matthews odds. Uh, he's right, having, a... but, you know, yeah, you know, Austin Matthews all day long to score a goal. I, I know that. I know there's a lot of like. Yeah, what has he ever won, and what have the Leafs ever yeah. won? And uh, look, Austin Matthews, in terms of his overall game scores and impact, what he has turned himself into at both sides of the ice, the way that he drives play, mm-hmm. like he's turned him. I'm sorry, you can tell me how you don't like his attitude, you don't like the way he dresses, I whatever. You cannot <laughs> sit here and tell me that he's not one of the three or four best players on the planet. He is. He just is. He is good at both ends of the ice. He is dominant at the one end of the ice. Nobody generates goals like he does. He does it and has done it since he entered the league at an otherworldly pace. He is, no questions asked, the man who has ripped the torch right from Alex Ovechkin's hand. As we watch from, as we watch Ovechkin try to set the all-time goal-scoring record, we know who it is now. I mean, the guy's on pace for 75. Yeah, the only thing, Pat, look, the one thing I think that fans want to see, uh, at least some fans want to see, is that he hates to lose more than he likes to win. That's what we want to see. I just, I think sometimes there are, like, sometimes a certain personality doesn't yeah. doesn't necessarily portray that publicly like people want it to. I mean... Does Connor McDavid strike you as a guy that has a single bit of emotion? I mean, that's not enough. But uh, I know that Connor McDavid okay. hates to lose. Right, but I'll tell this, you, this, this was, like, for me, one of the most more poignant moments last year. Yeah. You watch the difference between the, you know, the, the game when, when, when Edmonton got eliminated, and you watch Connor and Leon after that game compared to watching Matthews and Marner when the Leafs got eliminated. It was night and day. And I would rather see the emotions that I saw from Con- That's what I want to see. You could tell that Connor and Leon both can't stand to lose. It didn't, you never got that same feeling when you watched Austin Matthews and he very well may, but he sure, you know, we'd like to, see, I, I look, I personally, as a fan yeah. would like to see him display it. And so that's why it's just, look, I can only go by what I see, you know, I don't know. Like I said, he very well may hate to lose, and maybe he was crying his eyes out after the game when he got home. Who knows? Yeah, I'm just saying there there was a market marketable difference to me when you watch the two guys in Edmonton. Get out of here. Good stuff as always, JD. We'll do it again next week. Hey, I'll be here.
Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan Davis is our Pacific Division insider. He joins us every Wednesday, and he joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary, top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today as we start to wrap up this hour. Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thank you, pal. My pleasure, buddy. Uh, game day on Thursday. Flames and Boston Bruins from the Dome are producers, Cam and Shan. Thank you, boys. That'll wrap us up this hour. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.